Our reading for this week is from Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 through 28. Matthew chapter 24, starting at verse 1. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age? And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places, and these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in the house, and let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. This is the word of God. lot to accomplish this morning, so let's pray. 
Lord, as we open your word, we, we should realize how dependent upon, we, upon you we are. And so at this time, Lord, would you allow your Holy Spirit to be present to, Lord, not only help me preach and teach your word with faithfulness and clarity, but, Lord, also to give us understanding and allow our hearing of it to be clear and true and faithful so that the application of it would be true and faithful. So, Lord, would you come now and help us as we walk through some very challenging verses, but yet clear. We ask for your grace in this time now, we pray. Amen. Realistic expectations in life make a world of difference. Having realistic expectations in in scenarios or circumstances in life will make or break certain things. If we aren't adequately prepared and have realistic expectations, we will often find something very difficult to endure or persevere through. Some of you know what it was like when you went to boot camp. If you did not enter boot camp with realistic expectations of what a push-up is or what it means to run a lot, then you would have struggled greatly. In fact, some of you probably struggled greatly in that situation of circumstance because maybe you thought no big deal. Transitioning from high school to college requires realistic expectations or transitioning from high school to work, depending on your circumstance and to your desire. Transitioning into adulthood without having realistic expectations will will prove to be challenging at best. Realistic expectations in marriage and in parenting, parenting especially. Marriage. Having an understanding of what that will be like. It's, it's difficult, though, because having not gone through that, right, yet, for some of you, but having those expectations there. We could, be, we could give many examples of, of how realistic expectations, having them built and having them, having them properly aligned and understood often benefits us greatly in the long run because if we're not properly prepared for something, as I said, we will often struggle in our perseverance. I think we see that in the church today, largely due to what I would call shallow evangelism and a distortion of the gospel, a watered-down gospel. We see congregations filled with people who have no idea how to persevere through life. They think that Jesus is their answer to a problemless life. If I can just trust in Jesus, all my sorrows and all my problems will go away. And so we have congregations filled with, with Christians or even professing Christians who think that, that when life smacks them in the face that they must be somehow misinformed. 
one of the responsibilities that we as a church have is to help you, to help us together, be equipped to live the Christian life in a world that is anti-Christian. That's part of our responsibility, is to help equip you and to prepare you to live life in a world that has fallen and broken and cursed and a world that doesn't like us all that well. That means that you and I need to develop some realistic expectations when it comes to the gospel and when it comes to living the Christian life. That's exactly what Jesus is doing here in Matthew chapter 24 with his disciples. Matthew chapter 24, known also as the Olivet Discourse, he's on the Mount of Olives when he gives this talk to them. So, Jesus here is unfolding for his disciples the realities that they would soon face so that they would not cave to the pressure but persevere through their trials and struggles. See that reference there in verse 13, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now this passage is a well-known passage by many in the church because of the fascination with eschatology or the study of the end times. My goal this morning is not to present to you a millennial viewpoint. There are various millennial viewpoints in this church and I am satisfied with that. Because I think the dangerous thing that we could do is is come together today to, to dissect a passage that has something to say about end times, but not... That's not its whole point. And the dangerous thing that we can do is build a congregation upon a a system or an understanding of of theology or a particular element of theology and understand that there are, and not understand that there are many faithful Bible-believing Christians who see this text drastically different. When you come to Matthew chapter 24, there are a couple of main approaches that people take to this passage. There are some who see Matthew 24 and 25 strictly as referring to future details immediately preceding the second coming of Jesus. So all of what we see here is yet to happen. That's what some will say. Others, though few, will say that really the entirety of chapter 24 and all of this language of the coming of of the Son of Man, the coming of Jesus, has to do with judgment in Jerusalem. So some would say that it only has to do with the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. And there are even fewer amount of people who say all of this has been fulfilled. There are others who say it's dealing with both. And I'm one of those. Because when you read Matthew chapter 24 and you jump strictly to the future, you are in great danger of misunderstanding the context of what Jesus is saying. So I want us to look at that together this morning, and as we approach this text, there are a couple of things to keep in mind as we begin this study, because it's important for you and I to to jump into the Bible, not through the lens of, of another interpreter, but to understand what the text is saying. So honesty is required. Matthew chapter 24 is challenging. It is indeed challenging, but not impossible. There are a few places where it's 
difficult to understand when Jesus is talking about a particular event the disciples are going to face and the events related to the second coming. Another thing to keep in mind is that context is king, not a millennial viewpoint. Tim LaHaye is not king. George Eldon Ladd, who was a different, who had a different understanding of, of the Bible, or at least this text in the end times, is not king. The scripture is king. Context matters. And so when you read this text in its context, understand that Jesus is talking about several events and he's trying to help the disciples understand how, how all of these are going to fit together. And I would argue that the point of this chapter is not to foster speculation about future events, but to urge perseverance and faithfulness in the present. That becomes clear as you read throughout this, this text. It's important to understand the context, as I said, because when you read verses 1 and 2, you understand that chapter 24 follows chapter 23. Right? Everybody clear on that so far? I hope so. Chapter 24 comes after chapter 23. Remember in chapter 23, Jesus is lamenting the, the, the people of Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then in chapter 24, as Jesus and his disciples were walking away from the temple... They're walking out of the temple. And so he's already said, your house is left to you desolate. And many think that here as he's leaving the temple for the last time, that it is now a, a significant mark of, of the physical presence being removed. But he's leaving the temple and his disciples are, are coming along and they're, they're making reference to, to, the, to the glory and grandeur of the temple because during this day and time, the temple had been reconstructed. It was being built again under Herod, and it was magnificent in its, in its beauty. And they're pointing that out, verse 1 of chapter 24, they point out to him all the buildings of the temple, and, and, and then Jesus drops a bomb on them. I mean, just imagine all of this effort and all of this work going into rebuilding the temple, and Jesus says, by the way, it's coming down. It's coming down. This, this temple that you see is it's not going to last. Verse 2. You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be one, there will not be left one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. This beautiful building that's been so representative of, of, of the presence of God, and it certainly has in, involved the presence of God for so long, this is coming to an end. It's coming down. And for the disciples... That, just imagine how unthinkable that would have been for them. After all, Herod had made those extensive renovations, and it was the main sight to see in Jerusalem. I was trying to think of what the main sight to see in St. Mary's County was, but I just couldn't come up with it. I was trying to do some comparison and contrast, right? The movie theater, I don't know. Just imagine, you know, it's, it's being built, and, and for us to say in a short time it's going to come down, I don't know. Maybe that would, who, I don't know. 
But for the disciples to think about the temple being destroyed was unthinkable. And so that must have meant only one thing in their mind. The end was soon. Because for the temple to be destroyed, they didn't have any kind of category to think beyond that. So they must have imagined, as Jesus is saying, the temple is going to be destroyed. They were assuming and concluding that that his return, or they didn't have a category for his return, but that the end of the age must be soon. Here, He's claiming to be the Messiah, and so he's talking about the temple being destroyed. So, so the end must be at hand. And so they ask him, as they sat on the Mount of Olives in verse 3, they come to him privately and say to him, tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of your coming and close of the age. Do you see right there how they put the two together? When's all of this going to happen? The destruction of the temple and the closing of the end of the age. And Jesus answers them. And so what he does in verses 4 through 14 is he begins to walk with them and help them understand what I believe is a misunderstanding on their parts. While the temple was going to come down, and while Jesus was going to ascend to the Father and one day return, all of that wasn't going to happen together right then. Again, they saw the destruction of the temple as an event that brought the end, thus ushering in this full reign of the Messiah. So the destruction and the close of the age to them were the same event, but they had a wrong understanding in which Jesus seeks to correct. Obviously, the fall of Jerusalem and the second coming were not the same events. But there is a relationship between the two. Jesus, what he's doing here, he's preparing his disciples to understand that when certain things happen in what I believe is in conjunction with the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70, He's trying to say, understand when this temple comes down, and it does later on, it's not the end. There are certain things that still have to happen, and there are certain things that you, disciples, will experience, and certainly that the people of God will experience throughout the ages. But you should not confuse that. So I believe what he's doing here, he's not pointing to signs of the end. He's he's saying, here are things that are going to happen, and it's not the end. He actually says that. Verse 6. Don't be alarmed, these things are going to happen, but it's, the end is not happening yet. The disciples were being called to perseverance in the midst of great tribulation. A tribulation that they would feel the weight of. And a tribulation that I believe that the church continues to feel the weight of today. You say, well, it's going to intensify in the future. It may very well intensify in the future. I'm not here to debate that today. But understand, when Jesus is talking to them, it makes no sense, biblically, exegetically, whatsoever, for Jesus to say all of what he said here in this text to his disciples if they were not going to go through these things. If he's talking merely future, then it makes no sense whatsoever for Jesus to walk his disciples carefully through these events that he says they're going to encounter and for them not to be alarmed and for them to stay faithful and persevere. So the structure we see in verses 1 through 3 is the questions that come from his disciples. And verses 4 through 14, Jesus clarifying that this wasn't the end and their need for endurance. Describing what would happen, what I believe what would happen between his first and second comings. 
that they and all believers would experience. And then verses 15 through 28 specifically related to the fall of Jerusalem. Especially the first part of that chapter, or verses. So here's the, here's, the, here's the thing that we see. Regardless of what kind of millennial viewpoint you want to impose upon this text, I would actually recommend the opposite. I would, allow, I would actually say this text should inform your millennial viewpoint. Don't bring your millennial viewpoint upon this text. Let the text inform it. And there are various perspectives of end-time scenarios that I know that we have in this room. And I'm not here to try to argue one or the other. But as you walk through this text, understand that even, even if there are varying differences of end-time scenarios, the application is largely the same. You may see this as all future. You may see this as a both and. But the application to his disciples, to us, to those who are yet to come, when, when, if these things indeed uh, immediately precede the, the second coming of Jesus, the application is the same. We're being called to the same perseverance and same faithfulness in the midst of trials and tribulation Jesus said we would face he said in this world you will have tribulation take heart I've overcome the world so how do we persevere he gives us five characteristics of perseverance we'll walk through them briefly quickly we have a lot to cover um, short time to do so we don't have time to get bogged down necessarily, but I want to walk you with five steps, five characteristics of perseverance in light of the trials, in light of the tribulation. Disciples needed to hear in their lifetime. We need to hear in our lifetime, and any believer moving forward needs to hear in their lifetime before Jesus returns. Number one, we persevere by being watchful, verses 4 and 5. We persevere by being watchful. Jesus says, see that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. The first warning Jesus presents to his disciples is that many will come in his name, claiming his authority, claiming his title. There's going to be these would-be messiahs that, that appear. And we know, uh, even from the Jewish uh, historian Josephus, that there were many in the disciples' day that claimed that. They came along saying that they were the Christ, even after he ascended. And so the warning here is for them and for us, not to be led astray. That becomes a dominant theme in the New Testament. Watch out for false teachers. Don't be led astray. It becomes this, this, this theme that even in the New Testament letters, as Paul and, and others are writing to these, these newly planted churches, they're new, and they're now having to write back to them, encouraging them to persevere and encouraging them to watch out for false teachers. Don't be misled. You know, a lot of times we think that some of the greatest dangers Christians face are outside of the church. And there's a lot of dangers outside of the church, but there is as much danger inside the church. False teachers will often infiltrate churches and lead astray the flock. 2 Peter 2.1 says, But false prophets also arose among the people. Just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. Notice, by the way, that Jesus says this is not merely a potential thing that will happen. He's not just speculating. He, he's not saying this, is, this could happen, so just watch out. Notice the certainty of his language. I am the, many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. That, that's certainty there. It's going to happen. Don't be one of those. 
they will lead many astray. The, Friends, the best way to not be led astray by false Christ and false teachers is to be walking faithfully with the true one, with the true Christ. Pursuing him and walking in faith and, and, and being watchful of, of your surroundings. The second way he encourages perseverance is by being advised. Look at verses 6 through 8. And he says to them, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Jesus continues to warn his disciples of things like natural disasters and wars. He says that when these things happen, the end is not yet. It's only the beginning of the birth pains. These are not, actually not signs of the end. They're, they're signs of the beginning of the end. He's telling them not to see wars and calamities as, as that sign or, or to base speculation upon the end, but rather to see them as things that have to happen. You, you just think of wars. Prior to A.D. 66, there had been a relative time of peace in, in the Roman Empire and in that part of the world. But in A.D. 66, civil war in Rome broke out. There were calamities that began to happen. Earthquakes, major earthquakes happened in the disciples' day and time. Asia Minor in A.D. 61 and Italy in A.D. 62. Jerusalem experienced one in A.D. 67. You know, today we, we, we hear about an earthquake in Nepal and we get our charts out and f- try to figure out when, when's Jesus coming. Did you know that the U.S. Geological Survey says that there are 20,000 earthquakes that happen a day? You don't feel them all. Some of them you feel. I mean, this has always been t- the case. Famines. Major famine broke out around A.D. 46. Go read Acts 11.28. They have something to talk, they have something to say about that one. Famines have always been a reality before Jesus' day and ever since. And this is where I believe so many prophecy preachers misconstrue end times reality. Jesus says these are clearly not the end. They're the beginning of what would be the end. And there is a fine line between that. I think they wrongly conclude that these in events are signs of the end when Jesus says they're, they're signs of the birth pains, the beginning, only, signif- only signifying the beginning of the last days, not the last day itself. And so then people say, well, when is the last days? Are we living in the last days? I would say yes. Were the disciples living in the last days? Yes. That's how the biblical writers talked about it. Remember Hebrews chapter 1? You go to 1 Timothy chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 3, but even the writer of Hebrews says, there in chapter 1, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, spoken to us by his son. The last days include that that period of time between Jesus' ascension and his second coming. It's a significant amount of time. Be advised, understand that wars and earthquakes and famines have always been a reality that this cursed fallen world have have felt the weight of. Don't be alarmed. Jesus is actually saying the opposite of what so many say today. What so many say today is when these things happen, be captivated. 
Try to figure it out. He's coming, he's coming as soon, and Jesus is saying, these things are going to happen. Chill out. The end is not yet. Be prepared, number three. You know, the question is often asked here whether or not the tribulation Jesus is referring to refers to persecution in the disciples' day, throughout the church age, or a specific persecution at the end of history. And I could see a yes to all of those, but it's certainly relevant for the disciples. To, to ignore that this had any relevance for the disciples whatsoever would be to, to ignore what Jesus is trying to do and prepare them for what they would face. And so whether or not the tribulation or even the, the phrase great tribulation is a reference to something that would happen at the end of the end of the age prior to his second coming or whether or not it was what they were facing in their day and time in the fall of Jerusalem, regardless, is, is he saying, you need to be prepared. Be prepared for these things. Jesus is quite specific. In fact, if you read Mark's account and Luke's account, he even goes so to such specificity, he even explains, the word, he uses the word synagogues. He says, you will be hated. Many will fall away. Many will be led astray, and the love of many will grow cold. This persecution and tribulation is, is coming upon you. I think it accompanied the, the destruction of Jerusalem and, and all that took place there. We don't even have a clue the atrocities that took place when that happened. We're so far removed from it today. I think he's preparing them for that event. I'm not saying that that event doesn't foreshadow a greater event in the future. It may very well. But he's preparing them for that day and time. And Jesus adds, listen, he says, be prepared for these things. Don't be alarmed by all the calamities that you will see. And by the way, in verse 9, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. Most of the disciples were martyred. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then... Many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. The one who endures to the end will be saved. He explains to them, and certainly we understand in our own context today, the necessity of perseverance. This is, I think, the... The element that's often missing, missing in gospel proclamation today in the church. Come to Jesus, you're eternally secure, and live however you want to. That's the message. You say, well, we don't preach that. We don't preach it that way, but that's how people hear it. There's not this call to, to persevere and prepare people how to endure the, the trials and, the, and the, the struggles that they're going to face. His point is that his followers, whether in that generation or any generation coming, should expect persecution and suffering. Friends, even in our day and time, it's now on the nightly news. Often. Jesus knew that his followers would need to be properly prepared for this kind of opposition. You go to John chapter 15. In John chapter 15, beginning in verse 18, Jesus said it clearly again there. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. 
If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. This is a word that we need to hear loud and clear today because we now live in a post-Christian nation. I'm not sure that we were ever a Christian nation. You can debate that with me on the side. But, but it's clear today that this is not a Christian nation. It's not. And, and, and don't be confused, by the way, that, that, that God has this plan somehow to build Christian America that, 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 that's sort of his parallel to Israel. That's yet another misunderstanding. This is not a Christian nation. This is not a, a nation where, where it's normal to be Christian. And there are more and more people today who will gladly acknowledge their hatred of Christianity or their rejection of it altogether. You and I need to be prepared. We need to be equipped to persevere through, through the tribulations and through the trials that we will encounter, through the, through the opposition that we will face. Because it will, we will be presented with more and more opportunity to compromise the gospel than ever before. I believe that. And so the question for you and for me is, is simple. Are we going to compromise the gospel? Are we going to compromise our faith and fit into a cultural mold and understanding of that? Or are we going to persevere in the truth? Be prepared. Jesus is preparing his people. He's preparing his disciples. He's preparing us. Now, I'm not sure that we do a good job of preparing our churches for these kinds of things. Be prepared, number four, be engaged in the mission. Verse 13 and 14, he says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And notice what he says here. In, in, in his talk to them about all of these things that I believe that they experienced in their day and time as well, he says, listen, and by the way, the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. I think Jesus is just helping them understand there's, there's a lot that's going to happen before, before the end of the age. Namely, that the gospel will be proclaimed to the ends of the earth. He's clarifying how all this is going to, to shake out. You disciples are going to face significant trial. But remember, these things aren't a sign of the end, but only the beginning. And then he concludes by saying, before the end comes, the gospel will be pre preached to the ends of the earth, to all nations. By the way, that chapter, uh, verse 14, he, he doesn't mean that when the very last person hears the gospel, that boom, Jesus is coming at that moment. He might, but it doesn't, that's not what that text means. There, there's been books written to, to argue that Matthew 24, 14 is sort of this ushering in the second coming mission that we have. But as soon as the last person hears, the trumpet sounds, it's going to sound, and, and Jesus will descend. It may happen that way, but that doesn't, this text doesn't say that it has to happen that way. It just simply means the universal proclamation of the gospel will continue until the end. Point being, when things get tough, don't disengage from the mission. Makes sense from a military perspective, doesn't it? I mean, aren't you glad when things, when the going gets tough, right? 
that, that our, our folks in uniform don't back off or they re-engage re, uh, re in, in different ways, but they don't disengage. Notice, by the way, that Jesus expects and even later commands that this gospel ministry continue to the nations. And yet, it's the nations that will hate us. John Piper is, is helpful in, in putting this together. He, he says in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, that, that Jesus gives us the purpose. Make disciples of all nations. But back in chapter 24, verse 14, he states the promise. The gospel will be proclaimed to all nations. And in verse 9, he expresses the price. You will be hated by all nations. Think about that mission. Go make disciples of all nations. The gospel must go to the ends of the earth. earth and by the way, the nations aren't going to like you. Friends, the mission will not be a comfortable or easy mission. And there will be many casualties along the way. But that doesn't mean that when the... When the, when the times get tough and the, and the pressure begins to mount, that we should disengage from the mission and seek the comfort and safety of, of, our, of, of our lives. To quote Piper again, he says, If we as a church are disobedient, it is not ultimately the cause of God and the cause of world missions that we'll lose. We will lose. God's counsel will stand and he will accomplish all his purposes. That's Isaiah 46.10. His triumph is never in question, only our participation in it or our incalculable loss. We can be drunk with private concerns and indifferent to the great enterprise of the world of world evangelization, but God will simply pass over us and do his great work while we shrivel up in our own little land of comforts. I don't know about you, but I'm not interested in shriveling up in our own little land of comfort. Gospel ministry will be difficult, it will be trying, it will be, it will be marked by opposition from all fronts. The very people that remain unreached in the world today remain unreached for a reason. They want to kill us when we come to share good news with them. God has a mission for us to be involved in. Instead of filling our time with prophetic speculation... On the end, the church is called to be engaged in the mission until the end. Listen, the end is coming. Jesus is coming again. He will return for his people visibly, physically. It will be, it will be a day that, that, that we will celebrate. Jesus is coming again. But friends, there is work to be done until that day. I think that's sort of what Jesus is getting at here with his disciples. Listen, all of this is going to happen. Don't be distracted. The gospel must go to the end of the, uh, end of the world. It must go to the nations. Remain engaged in the mission. Number five, be reminded. Verses 15 through 28, Jesus makes reference here to a text out of Daniel, chapter 9, verse 27, and chapter 11 and chapter 12 of, of Daniel. He makes a reference here to the abomination of desolation that was spoken of by the prophet Daniel. That just sounds bad, doesn't it? Abomination of desolation. And most believe that this was at least partly or, or, or fully fulfilled 
when uh, the Syrian king of back in 167 BC came along and conquered Jerusalem and prohibited Jewish sacrificial worship. He set up pagan sacrifices on the altar, slaughtered a pig on the altar. It was a bad day in, in Jerusalem. And while this event, now well in the past, would have been known by the Jews, Jesus is saying, he's, he's using the same text to speak of something that's yet to happen. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, and he's speaking to his disciples again, you, in reference to them. Let the reader understand. Then let those who are in, the, in, the, in, in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the housetop not go down to take what is in the house. And let those who remain in the field turn back, not turn back to take his cloak. He's using same language to point from Daniel 9 to point to the destruction of the temple when the Romans sacked Jerusalem in AD 70. And I think that this great tribulation is a reference to that event because he gives specific instructions for them to do certain things when that happens. Found in 16 through 21. Flee to the mountains. Don't stop to get your cloak. Pray that your flight may not be in winter on a Sabbath. The summary here is that these is, 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 he's telling them things are going to get bad. Things are going to get really bad. And when the abomination of desolation comes, flee. But do so knowing, verse 22, that these days will be cut short for your sake. These days will not be be spread out in great length as far as this intense time of tribulation. And don't listen to these false accounts about my coming. That will be obvious. Verse 27. Several things to note here. He's preparing them and he's preparing us to be ready for trial. He warned them to flee to the mountains when this day came. He's saying what Daniel said is going to happen, and it happened. Some say it's still yet to happen in the future, and maybe. But I think that we have a clear fulfillment of Scripture between these two occurrences, the abomination of desolation. Destruction of Jerusalem was a terrible event. Friends, millions were slaughtered and taken into slavery the city virtually starved to death. That's why he says flee. The mothers ate their children. That's how bad it got. And you say that's not a great tribulation? It's a terrible day. Entire city brought to ruin. The temple destroyed. He's saying, listen, you need to be ready for this. I'm preparing you for this. Another point that we should take away is that we should be ready to pray. He, he even says that in verse 20. Pray, pray that your flight may not be in winter on a Sabbath. Pray that it won't be worse than it's going to be. You know, people often think that trials are to be escaped. While you should never look for them on your own, it is simply not true that we should and must avoid suffering at all costs. It is the mark of the believer the point is, is that in trial, in tribulation, in distress, in opposition, whatever it is you face, pursue Christ, pray, seek Him, trust Him, walk in Him. 
And by the way, we see here just a, just a, a note of, of provision that, that the Lord has for his people. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. He, he will care for his people. He will comfort his people. He will even cut short these intense days of tribulation for the sake of his people because he cares for us. We should be ready for Christ. As we seek the comfort of God in the midst of trial, we should be, and we must be. We'll talk more about this next week in the rest of this chapter. We should be ready for the Lord's return at any moment, at any time. The point Jesus is making, don't listen to the alarmist. Don't be taken captive by all the calamities that's going on in the world. Don't be led astray by these false messiahs. Don't think that all of this distress is something that's going to, to bring a crushing blow to my, to my purposes. The end will come, and it will be noticeable. For, for the, as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Some see that as judgment on Jerusalem, but I do think he's pointing to the future. Don't be bogged down with these things. My coming, again, the end of the age will be obvious. But don't lose sight of the present. Don't lose sight of your need to persevere, to endure, to go through what you're going to go through. Remaining engaged in the mission. Be watchful, be advised, be prepared, be engaged, be reminded of these things. Realistic expectations. Jesus is setting his disciples up not to fail, not to falter, but to endure and to persevere and to keep going in the cause of the great gospel mission that he had given them and he has given us. The same is true for us. No matter what you and I experience, no matter what tribulations come our way, no matter what trials we face, no matter what we encounter, friends, we are called to these same things. We're to be watchful. We're to be on guard. We're to be aware of, of, of false teachers and false rumors. There's a guy in Florida that came, claims to be Jesus today. Miami. I don't know if you know him, Anita. He's there. Anita's from Miami. Claims to be Jesus. Look him up. Google him. You're going to hear of these things. Be aware of, of false teaching. Be advised. Friends, we live in a day where there's a lot of calamity, right? I mean, it's no different, though, than the day and the disciples. We think that we're sort of this special generation that experienced all of this stuff. We, in, in many ways, we have it much better off, especially in our Western culture. Be advised. Don't be alarmed Friends, when the earthquakes happen and the famines happen and the wars and rumors of war take place, the last thing you need to do is get out your charts. Friend, get out your Bible and proclaim Christ. Turn people's hearts away from that to Christ, who's the only hope. Remain engaged and remain involved in the mission. And be reminded that even in the midst of trial and even in the midst of struggle, there is a God who cares for his own. And friends, the good news is that one day, Jesus will split the skies open, and he will come again for his elect. He will come again to gather his people to himself. And that day is certain, and that day is coming, but that day is not yet. The end is not yet. Let's be faithful. 
Let's be faithful now in the present. Endure, because he who perseveres to the end will be saved. Will be saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. Father, we thank you for these reminders that even in the midst of struggle and the animosity that we face, the opposition that we face, the trials and tribulations that we encounter, Father, there are significant things that go on in this world that would paralyze most. Father, there, there, there are things that we encounter that, that have paralyzed us. We go through a particular time, we go through a particular struggle, and we don't know which way to turn, we don't know what to do. We, we, we just sort of stand there numb to it all. And Lord, we're so grateful that in your grace that you, you warned us about the, the difficulties that we would face in this world and the trials and tribulations that would come our way, the opposition that we would have. Lord, following you, it's free. The gospel is free, but Lord, it, it cost us our life. Because of our affiliation with you, because of our relationship with you, Lord, the world hated you. Should we expect any different? So Lord, my prayer is that as we hear your word, beyond all of the, the end time speculations and scenarios that we could debate my concern is that your people here at Redeeming Grace Baptist Church would be found faithful that we would do exactly as you have said that we would persevere by your grace that we would persevere to the end Lord it's only by your grace that we can do that so, Lord, would you help us to be faithful? Would you help us to be prepared? Would you help us to be ready? Aware of all that's going on around us, Lord. Aware of, of a world that's filled with chaos. But, Lord, while we're aware of that, yet confident. Confident that you are in control and that your purposes will prevail. That your gospel will go to the ends of the earth and all nations will hear one day you will come and gather your people from the ends of the earth. Father, we'll certainly live today in light of that day. Knowing that day is coming, but Lord, that that should not cause us to be negligent now. Would you give us grace to be faithful? Would you give us grace to continue on in your peace? promises. We pray this in Christ's name.